DraftKings.net. Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio, this is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Welcome back. 25 minutes or so. Our friend uh, Zubin Mahente from ESPN will join us. We'll go around the world of sports with Zubin. Uh, but right now, our friend Eric Heft. Uh, he's old, like me. I'm guessing a pretty good chance 40 years ago tonight, Eric, uh, you were in front of your TV watching Monday Night Football when the news broke that John Lennon was assassinated outside his uh, hotel right uh, on the west side of uh, New York City. Uh, remember it vividly, Eric. How about you? I remember it. Uh, yeah, my, you know, back in those days, and maybe even still is to a lesser extent, Monday Night Football on ABC was, was appointment TV was, for me. Yes. Uh, you know, I never missed one. Yeah. No, it, it really and truly was. You know, for now, that's Sunday Night Football, but man, there was a time, right? Don Meredith oh. and Frank Gifford and Howard Cosell, of all the unlikely trios to make an impact uh, as those three did, that, they, were, um, they were as good as it got. I, I enjoyed it, especially, especially like Meredith. He was, yeah. uh, he was such a... Turn out yeah. the lights. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, I just remember when, uh, <clears throat> I think it was the Oilers, or it might have been the Saints on Monday night, <clears throat> and the uh, fan, you know, they were back when they were wearing bags over their yeah, head. Yeah, sure. And, and gave him those uh, one-finger salute, <laughs> his comment. Hey, he still thinks his team's number one. Yep, he was very quick, uh, no <laughs> doubt about that. All right, well, let's get to the here and now as we fast forward to 2020. And lo and behold, the Big 12 regular season comes to an end, at least for Iowa State. And it doesn't matter what happens this weekend, uh, but they're on top of the standings in the Big 12. A remarkable turnaround from what happened on September the 12th. Uh, how did they get to that point, Eric? We know teams improve from, you know, at the start of the season till the end, but uh, what a remarkable, remarkable season Iowa State and Matt Campbell's team has put together. You, you know, they had a plan. They stuck to it. I mean, I think that's the thing. Uh, people talk about being all in. You know, everybody says that, but I think in Iowa State's case, uh, they were all in. They were all in uh, to, for the most part, avoid all the COVID issues that plague so many teams. All in on what Coach Campbell and the staff wanted to do. And and Coach has talked a lot about player-driven leadership is what he's looking for. And I think he's got it big time uh, because, you know, it's that more than just peer pressure, but genuine leaders on your team – who set an example and a standard, uh, and other players just don't want to disappoint. That's how uh, you kind of stay in your semi-bubble or whatever you want to call it, what they've been through, uh, and have the opportunity to play. And, you know, the Louisiana game I mean, was a late ad. Uh, you know, two special teams touchdowns. Just You know, Iowa State wasn't sharp. Uh, like a lot of teams weren't early in the year. There were a lot of special teams gaffes. A couple came back to bite Iowa State. Uh, but you know what? You had to flush it and move on to the next game, and Iowa State was able to do that. And man, it's been it's been so much fun ever since. 
Eric, you've uh, been a part of this program for a long time, calling the games on radio. You've seen some good, and you've seen quite a bit of bad throughout it. And at this point, Ken and I have talked uh, really the last couple of weeks. With the change in the Big 12, I don't believe this is possible. To get through unscathed the way that they have, to have an outright regular season title, to have the best record in the league, it felt like this was always going to be Texas and Oklahoma in the current construction, yet here they are. Take us through your emotions and, and watching this team and then seeing it come to full fruition after the victory against West Virginia. Wow. You know, I wondered in my heart whether or not it was ever going to be possible. Sure. Uh, it, it seems like seemed like such an uphill battle for Iowa State to be able to get there uh, that I didn't know if it was ever going to happen. And, you know, and I, to be honest, I don't know how many coaches really believed that we've, our previous coaches believed that they could win the Big 12. Now, Iowa State hasn't won the Big 12 yet, but right. they've certainly accomplished a lot. Uh, but I think Matt Campbell is one who believed that. And, you know, I think, he, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, one of the things that really, uh, as I look around college football, people who, who follow college football, whether they're fans or sports writers, if you had pulled them and said over the last four years, you know, what, what would the standings be in the Big 12? Who would be the winningest team? Everybody would say Oklahoma. Who's the second winningest team? Even today, I think most people wouldn't say Iowa State. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a sign that this program, it's not just this team, it's this program has really risen to a level that is uh, well, unprecedented at Iowa State. And, and I think if you look at it realistically, I mean, I think he has a great chance to stay there uh, as long as Coach Campbell's here, and I expect that he will stay here. Uh, I just feel like this program has just come so far. It's been it's been fun to watch. And the old parrot, I kind of the 1912 thing everybody talks about. I get it. It's a uh, you know, it's not a very flattering thing to be sure, but it's accurate. But on the other hand, it's not reflective of where Iowa State is, and I think where Iowa State's going to be moving forward. I, I think Iowa State has established themselves, and to me, it's not just that one flash-in-the-pan kind of thing where you have a great year and you're there, and then it all falls apart. I think this is sustainable, and I think, to me, that's the most gratifying thing about what's happened so far. Well, the biggest surprise to me, Eric, was the um, we, knew, we knew the skill players were good. We thought this defense was going to be maybe one of the best in the of Iowa State, but boy, this offensive line, there's a lot of holes in this line, and this team's only going to go as far as this old line. Eric, they have been a revelation. I Remsburg, since he's been in the lineup, he's been terrific. Schweiger and Simmons maybe didn't know those two names. Newell and Foster we knew, but as a group, they have come together now uh, and are... You know, really opening some eyes as to how good that they can be, and they are far from the weakest link. I don't know what the weakest link was or is on that team. I thought it was the offensive line. It's not. Well, hey, before the season, I you know, Coach Campbell said, uh, ask him about the offensive line because I I had some real concerns. It's like, how good uh, can this line be? I said that that was one of my biggest biggest question marks by far, and he said, I'm not worried. Uh, he was very, he was very confident it was going to be a good group, and I was kind of channeling my inner uh, Missouri person there. Uh, show me, because I got to see this, because it's really hard for me to think that this offensive line is going to really take a step forward, let alone not take a step back. Uh, but not only that, the two two injuries they've had to starters 
I mean, I think that's moving forward. I mean, as you get, you know, Ramos back 100% and, and Colin Downing, I think going forward for next year, uh, I think it really bodes well because, you know, if you want to have a program, I think you've got to be great in the trenches. I talk about program all the time, but that's what I think Iowa State is building, and you have got to be good, you know, at the line of scrimmage. And I think Iowa State's going to continue to be good at the line of scrimmage and we know there's a ton of skilled players coming back next year as well as the ones we have this year. So uh, I think it's sustainable, and you're right. The offensive line is the biggest surprise to me. So you got a busy week coming up next week. Finally a Saturday off for you, and then a Friday game against West Virginia for basketball, followed, of course, by the Oklahoma Big 12 championship game. You were telling me, Eric, before we came on the air, you guys got something pretty cool set up for that Friday, Saturday, and doing them both from Dallas. Yeah, well, well, we're doing all the road games this year remotely. Uh-huh. Uh, so we'll be actually just down the hall from where you guys are right <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, uh, doing the games. Uh, but because of playing Friday night, the night before the Big 12 championship game, we're actually going to do it from Fort Worth from our counterpart uh, nice. TCU, play-by-play guy's home. He's got a <laughs> studio there. So that'll be, that'll be pretty unique. Yeah. It's a late game, so... Then hustle back to the hotel, and then then eleven o'clock on Saturday, and then come back and play Sunday afternoon, Sunday at noon at Hilton Coliseum wow. too. So, interesting, uh, yeah. yeah, pretty pretty busy time. But you know what? These are the times you live for, uh-huh. and you do what I do. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, no doubt about it. Eric Heft is our guest. Eric uh, Dylan Stainer. I uh, I thought he was a blocking tight end. I mean, Kohler's going to get all the uh, the focus on him, and Chase Allen's a really nice player in his own right, but. Dylan Stainer was not a guy that I thought was going to be as big a part of the offense that he has been all season long. Uh, it's great to have all three of those guys, and Stainer certainly seeing his uh, fair share of balls come his way. Walking booth this past weekend, what do you think the likelihood? Campbell's optimistic that he's going to be around for Oklahoma. He's had a really good campaign, Eric. Um, and what, uh, what do you think the likelihood that he'll be out there for the championship? Any remote possibility, I think, would make it a likelihood. He's a guy that wants to be out there. And, you know, I agree. He's a, a guy who's really stepped up in terms of being a, a receiver they trust throwing the football to. He's a big target. He's been terrific in that area. Uh, I got I mean, I'm hopeful he plays. And I, and I have to think he probably will. You see him dancing on the sideline after, <laughs> during the West Virginia game. Yeah. He looked, even though it was on one foot, he looked, he still looked pretty mobile. I, I would say a great chance. You know, when I asked him after the Texas game, we had him on the, on our post game, and I, I said, I know you've become a bigger part of the offense in terms of catching the ball. I said, and everybody likes to catch the ball, but what would you rather do, catch the ball or stick somebody in the dirt? And he said, Well, I love catching the ball. But man, if I can plant somebody, that's, that's my, that's my nirvana. So it's a guy that I think against Oklahoma's improved defense, just that additional threat, maybe as a receiver, but as a tremendous blocker, uh, could be a big factor in the game if he's able to go. Uh, looks like Sean Shaw's taken over that uh, that secondary receiver. I mean, Hutchinson has a terrific year, but you're always looking for that number two. It seems like Shaw uh, is uh, trying to grasp that role in this last couple of games. Uh, he seems like he might be the guy. Uh, he might be. You know, I I think that's one of the great things about Iowa State's offense right now. They have a lot of options. You know, we mentioned the tight ends, you know, running back, uh, Brees out of the backfield. Uh, but, you know, Shaw, 
early in the year, I was wondering where he was. I thought, man, he, he just, there wasn't much production coming there. And, and just kind of like last year was kind of the same thing, although he was a freshman a year ago. Uh, he, he really blossomed latter stages of last season, and he's done it again. Once again, he's a big target. Uh, I think he's, I think he's playing with a lot more confidence now than he was early in the year, and he's big. One other thing, though, too, uh, we didn't see much of Tariq Milton, so I don't know if he was a little dinged up uh, going into the West Virginia game. I think he still has a chance to be that number two guy if he's 100% healthy because he has a dimension that Iowa State, that that quickness, even though he's the, he's the short one of the bunch, uh, he can make people miss. His one play against Oklahoma was a big play in that football game that Iowa State won uh, back in October. So I, I think there's a chance that he could still be that guy too. So there are options as Landon Akers got his first touchdown the other great. day as well. Yeah, that was great to see. You know, one of my uh, favorite stories of the season is Jaquan Bailey coming back after the injury last year, getting the sack record. But looking at the counterpart on the other side, Will McDonald, might be chasing yeah. down that sack record before he leaves at Iowa State. I remember hearing Will McDonald for the first time. Bruce Feldman of The Athletic always has his freaks list that comes out before every football season. It was before Will McDonald even played a game for Iowa State, and he was on there. Tell us a little bit more about that young man and just what a help it's been on the other side of Bailey having McDonald come off the end. You know, he played just uh, a little bit in his true freshman season and actually had a strip sack. Uh, uh, and uh, recovery against TCU, but then he was able to get maintain his redshirt year. He was thin, a super athletic. You know, he won the, the state high jump in Wisconsin, wearing Chuck Taylors. I mean, he was a kid that didn't have. I mean, he uh, maybe uh, certainly a, a bit of a disadvantaged uh, home life situation, uh, but man, he has really turned it on. I, he is such a freak athlete, uh, and a year ago. He was strictly a guy who would play in passing situations, uh, you know, where he he could rush off the edge. He's built his body up to the point now that he could be an, he can be an every down player, and that gives you so much more flexibility. Uh, you're not worried about the run when you've got him in the game. Certainly not as much as you would have been a year ago. Uh, but super athletic, uh, quick off the edge. You know, and they drop him back into coverage at times, too, and he's done a nice job, had a couple of uh, pass breakups there as well. So uh, a terrific athlete and a guy who is, I mean, I, I think that career sack record is in jeopardy uh, for sure. Uh, he, he already has, uh, he's already tied Iowa State single season mark this year with a couple games to go. He's so quick. He is so quick. Well, it's, it's, I think it's probably difficult to do a piece on Iowa State football. I don't believe we've talked about Brees Hall or Brock Purdy yet, uh, yeah. which is remarkable in its own right. Uh, look, Brock Purdy, uh, Eric, uh, since, since since the Baylor game, and I wasn't sure that you know the way he was playing that uh, that he had it in him to to win a big game, right? Your quarterback, you're going to need. He's going to need to to win a big game at some part during the season. He's been out of his mind. He has been so good since the second half of that Baylor game. I. I find it hard to believe, and there's a, a lot of good quarterbacks in college football, uh, that, um, that that many more are playing better in this last few weeks than Brock Purdy is. Well, I don't think anybody is over the past few weeks. You know, we got, once again, don't really know whether he's put too much pressure on himself earlier in the year. You know, he didn't play poorly other than uh, he struggled against Louisiana. Uh, he didn't play poorly. He just didn't play to the level we expected and hoped that he would play at. But man, he has been so good. Uh, you know, he has 
he, he say well, could he ever win a big game? He's won games. I mean, yeah. he's by far the winning or the winningest uh, quarterback in Iowa State history. His record against the Big Twelve uh, is absurd as a starter. I think he's what twenty nineteen and six. I mean, mm. <laughs> that, that's pretty solid. Uh, but the way he's played recently, I don't know. Uh, the K State game, I mean, almost perfect. And I would almost venture to say the West Virginia game was perfect. I mean, he ran. Uh, I, I think a lot of it has to do with taking what's there in the run game. Uh, just enough. You know, five, six carries a game is plenty when they're timed right. And I think he's, he's done a great job of deciding, you know, when he has to go or keeping the ball, you know, on, on that zone read. Uh, but I go back to Saturday. He had three incomplete passes. One, uh, Chase Allen was tackled. Right. <laughs> One Kene dropped or couldn't hang on to, and Sean Shaw had a catch that they overturned. I mean, those were his three incompletions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just his management of the game, uh, his ability to glide out, uh, either step up in the pocket or get outside the pocket, eyes downfield and make plays. Uh, I, I can't think anybody's playing better right now than he is. Last thing, a little basketball. Of course, Cyhawk week and feels so different. The game Sunday against DePaul was called off at literally the last minute leading into the game. Team was already there. Uh, just a quick look ahead to Iowa State coming off the loss to South Dakota State. Improvements you're going to be looking for? Well, I think they've got to be, they got to shoot the ball better, but I think that starts with better shot selection. Uh, you know, don't, don't rush the threes. Uh, you know, Got to got to be more committed defensively, you know, from the start of the game. Uh, you know, you have to have a little bit better ball movement, uh, and maybe find out who you are. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing right now. So many new faces. The worst possible scenario with COVID and practice and all the injuries and illnesses Iowa State had in preseason, and just the fact they were working, you know, two on two, four on four, uh, quite a bit. Uh, the worst year to have seven new guys in. Uh, they just don't really seem to know who they are right now. Uh, but I think there's talent there, and I think they can get there. Uh, it'll be a tall task, obviously, on Friday night. Uh, but they've got to show improvement, and I think they will. You know, that South Dakota State team was the absolute nightmare matchup for Iowa State. Uh, a very experienced team, a good team, very experienced. They know who they are, uh, and Iowa State – took a long time for them to really figure out what they needed to do and a way to get it done, almost got it done. Uh, but, you know, going forward, I think you know, regardless of what happens on Friday night, they'll give it, they'll give it their best shot. Uh, but then it's K-State and West Virginia next week. Can you continue to make improvement? And, and if you do that, then I think in this crazy year, I think it can be a successful season. Eric Haft, color analyst, uh, men's basketball and football. Eric, uh, happy that uh, you got to see this uh, in all of those games that you've done over so many years. Appreciate you coming on, as always, my friend. We'll talk to you down the road. All right. Always fun to be with you guys. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Eric Haft. Eric Haft joining us as we talk uh, some Iowa State. Time out, and Zubin Mahente will join us next. We'll go around the world of sports with Zubin. It's Miller and Condon. We're here until noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. We are Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 AM, and now 106.3 FM. This is 1-800-GAMBLER.
first saw them on the Ed Sullivan Show. You, you ever did. heard of the Ed Sullivan oh, Show? Yeah. It was pandemonium watching the audience. Even in Canada. Yes, we got this. Yes, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, yeah, just crazy. 40 years ago today, John Lennon lost his life outside the Dakota Hotel. It was Mark David Chapman uh, who was uh, convicted of the assassination. Let's get our friend Zubin Mehente in here as we go around the world of sports with Zubin. Zubin, Trenton, Ken, how are you, sir? Good. Coming to you live from my bathroom right now, believe it or <laughs> nice. not. Uh, they're installing a, a little studio in my apartment, in my studio apartment. Uh, just in case uh, the long, dark winter that they say is coming. Yep. And they shut down our studios, and we'll do the show from our respective homes in uh, Brooklyn, Connecticut, here and in New York City. But uh, crossing our fingers, it doesn't happen. I can just walk over to the studio, but we're preparing for a worst-case scenario. So I'm coming to you from my bathroom. <laughs> Which will act as the studio. That will be your studio? It will. It's sort of like my safe house <laughs> yeah. slash bathroom. <laughs> so it comes with a built-in seat, right? So it's not like you're going to have to move in a chair. Yeah, the only thing is that seat's not adjustable, so I'll okay. have, to figure out, <laughs> have to figure out where to put the tripod at the screen. Yeah, well, because you'll have a you'll have a camera in there, right? Because well, well, you have to, since you're on your 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 radio show is broadcast on TV or simulcast. It's amazing what technology is. The, the camera is actually, instead of a camera, it's literally an iPad. It's actually amazing what they can do to condense space with technology. So we have two experts here setting it up, and then uh, I'll just ask them, like, what button do I push to make this mm. thing work? Because other than that, I'm not going to be able to do much technology <laughs> Uh, so, well, Zubin, let's uh, let, let's uh, get to where we started the segment uh, by playing some uh, some Beatles. And uh, forty years ago today, I know it was an ABC product at the time. Monday Night Football was, and it was so important. Uh, it was a slice of Americana. It was is what it was. Monday Night Football back in the day, the popularity. It was appointment television. Uh, did you guys uh, discuss the the history uh, of today uh, on your radio slash television uh, show here this morning? We had a chance to talk about it on and off. And what I think is the most interesting thing, obviously, when you look back at something like this, I'm 42 years old. So you talk about the anniversary. I don't have any real recollection of it. But because of the person you're talking about, and then it happened here in the city, as you had mentioned, uh, and then essentially it was almost instantaneous death when it happened. The one thing that we discussed was when you discuss it from a sports standpoint, he and I were talking about this this morning. There's just nobody out there today that talks about anything other than the game. Now, I know Joe Buck has sort of, you know, crossed parameters a little bit, but everybody, I think even he, Jim Nance, Al Michaels, if you want to talk about the gambling references, mostly everybody is doing it straight down the middle. And I just think that when you look at the Monday Night Football crew back then, particularly the crew that brought America that news, Mm -hmm. there was an expectation that those people could talk about things other than sports. And I don't know whether we're in a shut up and dribble, whether we're in a mm. stick to sports. Like, I don't know what the, the caveat, what the turn is. But I think right now, uh, most executives and many viewers are just please tell me about what's going on in the game. Don't be oblivious if Colin Kaepernick is happening or the entire team is kneeling on the sideline. We need to show that. But I think for the most part, we have put our sportscasters in a box where we want them to talk about sports during the broadcast and not much else, not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong. There was a special group of people, and maybe TV was different back then. There weren't as many voices. There wasn't social media. So the voices that really did resonate on broadcast television, cable really wasn't even a thing. Those people, those men and women, mostly men at that time, had incredible power 
with their voices. So I think it's just different to talk about where we would be today if something had happened to somebody of that magnitude. I think everybody would be weighing in from all corners, and I think it would be justified because everybody deserves to have a voice. But I think it was very unique when you look at the composition of people that broke that news to America. Yep. We looked at those people as much more than sportscasters. And I'm not sure today we look at sportscasters as anything more than sports anchors. Well, Twitter would have broke the story to us today, right? <laughs> it would have been out there a lot yeah. earlier and yeah. a lot quicker. Yeah, just a different environment in a different world that we live in. Well, let's get into uh, sports a little bit deeper and go to the two games we had at Monday Night Football. Mm. The early one, though, I guess probably more intrigue, even as good as Josh Allen was late, as undefeated, no more, Pittsburgh goes down to the football team. How surprised were you by the outcome there and – how concerned are you about this Steelers team that can't run the football anymore? I'm not too concerned, obviously. As you guys know, they maintain the top spot in the AFC right now due to yep. conference record. So even though it sort of feels like if Kansas City and Pittsburgh were to play, and I don't know what home field really means in 2020, at least there's some solace there uh, for the Steelers. Obviously, short week, the two teams that played last night, the losers of the first game, the winner of the second game, are obviously going to play on Sunday night football, which I actually think is a gigantic litmus test for both teams, you could say Pittsburgh's proven themselves at 11-1. We'll see how good Buffalo is at 9-3. and um, But I do believe it's a litmus test for both. I just think from a Washington standpoint, we discussed this. We had Ron Rivera on the show not too long ago. He's 58. And I just said to him, can you, uh, can you explain the 58th year of your life to me? Hmm. And the reason I asked that question was he took over the team in January. Immediately he joined. No real association with the Redskins. He joins, and the first thing that drops yep. on him, is the name change, yep. right? And he's got to be the spokesman. The next thing that drops is the sexual harassment investigation that the Washington Post broke mm. about the team. Then he's open about, I don't really, I'm not too hot on Dwayne Haskins. He needs to work harder. Then he's got Kyle Allen, his security blanket, his familiarity from Carolina. He undergoes surgery. Then he's got Alex Smith, who obviously has his own amazing story, of his own. And then coaches diagnosed with squamato mm-hmm. carcinoma. This has all happened Jeez. in January. And just keep in mind, Dan Snyder has put out some statements, whether it was the uh, name change or whether it was the sexual assault allegation. But he has not spoke. And I think sometimes you need somebody to come out. You need to hear it in their voice. And he hasn't done it. So Rivera is not just in charge of running the football team. He's become the de facto, de facto spokesperson for the organization. That's even though they have a guy named Jason Wright who's their team president. So if you think about all of the things that they've had to deal with personally, professionally, team-wise, Rivera individually, and the fact that, uh, you know, the Giants do have the season sweep on the Washington football team, so their chances to win the division, uh, I think the Giants did this morning at 56 points, something percent, 4 or 5%. Redskins are there. Uh, the season sweep doesn't help. But if you take a look at everything that they've had to go through and the fact that they, quote-unquote, are right there for the division, it's remarkable. It really is. And the Giants going across the country and beating Seattle with Colt McCoy was remarkable uh, this past weekend as well. Someone's going to win the division. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch how it unfolds. But I, I think uh, that uh, the Giants, because of the tiebreaker, will be the thing. Zubin, uh, just, just your take on... A doubleheaders on Monday night. I know that they're both, other than week one, uh, they're not both ESPN properties due to COVID. It's the other network that has a game canceled. Um, but do you think that there's a chance going forward that, that a doubleheader on Monday night 
becomes a thing. I know it's an awful early start on the in the Pacific time zone. Uh, if indeed a game starts at four and say seven thirty, that's two o'clock in the Pacific, and and then five thirty for the air quote late game. Might we see this going forward, Zubin? Is there an audience out there for two games on Mondays? I think there is, but I think there would have to be some modifications. And this is just spitballing. I don't know any of this information. I think in order to do it, it's palatable. I think fans would want it. But I think you'd have to do it the way that ESPN has traditionally done the doubleheader. you got to have like a 7 o'clock game and then a kickoff in Los Angeles or Denver, Seattle, Arizona, San Francisco. And that's about it. Because I think there's two points. I think, one, uh, the league is a factor in all their TV ratings. And I understand the Steelers have a gigantic fan base. And frankly, so does the Washington football team. But games that start at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Fox or any national outlet simply are just not going to rate because much of your audience is at work at the gym doing other sorts of things, totally understanding that the fans of those fan bases will be there. So when those numbers are averaged into NFL national numbers, I don't think the league wants that because they know these 5 o'clock games aren't doing the number that they generally would be doing, and they don't want to be in the business of anything other than having the highest ratings. So when they go to all the TV networks and ask for the money – the money will be there. The other thing, too, is people don't have, I'm not taking this into consideration. Um, Washington Pittsburgh was not cleared in 100% right. of the country. So yep. there are places that you're expecting to turn on to see an NFL game at national television, and you don't have it because you don't live in a specific geographic area. The league would have to do something about that. I'm sure they could figure out a way to fix that. But there's all sorts of issues syndicated programming, local news, certain things are promised to certain stations. It's all over the map. You know, Fox only owns a handful of Fox stations across the country. I, You know, like KDSM is owned by somebody else, right? They're not owned by Fox. So it's one of those things where I think they would have to figure that out and fix that um, because I think you want a game that can be available to all fans across the country. It's too early to ask for people to go to Yahoo or get Amazon Prime or do all this sort of stuff. The NFL prides itself on being available on the simplest and broadest network. And if they can't offer that, I don't think you can go too often with the 5 o'clock game. The 7 and 10, 15, I can see that happening the way that ESPN does it if some of those West Coast teams are always willing to bite the bullet and play that late Monday game. Zubin, to college football. Tonight, Ken's favorite television show will be on. It will mean absolutely nothing, but he will get all worked up. We'll talk about it tomorrow morning. It is the college football playoff uh, selection show. Well, not even the selection show. But uh, anything different? What's intriguing is it? Is Coastal Carolina the biggest storyline yeah, coming maybe. into this? How high they go up? I would agree. And by the way, if things go your way tonight, uh, your favorite show might be on right after the yes, college football right, playoffs. Exactly. Right? So <laughs> your boys should come through. That would be something else. We're getting ready for that. We're really excited about that here. Uh, Jay was doing a thing where they were talking about Garza and Marble. They're really going down into the history bank here. Mm. We're really excited to watch tonight, and obviously Illinois. And Duke. I think so. We had Paul Feinbaum on this morning, and we basically asked him, you know, what's the most intriguing thing? And I think he certainly believes it's where Coastal is going to be. And I was listening to your show maybe last week when I texted uh, you guys about Chris Myers or yeah. something we were mm-hmm. talking about, where, you know, Ken, you've been on the train of it, and I actually think a lot of athletic directors are, are going to start thinking about this. The way and how quickly BYU put that game together and accepted that game, that should be the norm moving forward. Mm-hmm for the group of five schools. If they want exposure, they want attention, they want publicity, they want people to care about their games, they want game day to be in the house, then be willing to switch on a dime and do things. And I think to your point, Trent, not only does how far does Coastal Carolina rise, which I think is, is very interesting, 
But I also think I would like to see, even though this is unprecedented, I would like to see how far, or hopefully not how far, BYU falls. Because they took the game with a handful of days of notice. They flew 2,200 miles to play the game, and they got stopped on the final play right at the goal line, mm. essentially, at the one or whatever it was. So I'm interested to see where Coastal goes. Um, I, I always read see every day. Can you believe there's a day that there's any college football poll where USC would be looking up at Coastal Carolina? He's still really angry about that. Trying to go to the well with that every morning if we can. <laughs> nice. But I also would like to see what happens with BYU because I don't think they should be penalized uh, that much. I really don't. I understand it's a loss is a loss, and they had no margin of error. Um, but I'm interested to see where they fall or if the committee treats them a little more gently. Yeah, interesting. It's going to be, look, if Tulsa beats Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, believe it or not, might be, and they were picked last in their conference, might be the time that gets the New Year's Six bid. So, but just um, Ohio State, Michigan, yesterday it sounded like it was on. Uh, within the last hour, it sounds like that's a little tenuous at this point, um, as Michigan is still having their problems with the COVID. What's been the consensus when you talk to Feinbaum? Because we're convinced that the Big Ten is going to manipulate things to do whatever it takes, and I'm okay with it. I am uh, to get. And I don't think Ohio State's a really good team this year. I think they're okay, uh, but I can understand why the Big Ten would want to uh, make a pathway for the Buckeyes to get one of those four playoff bids. Uh, what's the consensus among the people that you have on? Do they think that that's good for the game this year, or is it something that should not even be addressed? I think they don't think it's good for the game, but I think they realize it's essentially the cost of perhaps doing business in 2020. I mean, to your point, as you well know, Barry Alvarez essentially came out and said, we got to find them uh-huh. a path. And that's notable because of who he is and the fact that he was on the playoff committee. Now, he's not a playoff committee now, but the idea that he understands what works and I've always been told by, by our people that in, and again, this doesn't matter this year, but I've always been told by our people that when coaches have been on the committee, many members of the committee that didn't play very much value the opinion of the coaches. It's not just 13 people in a room. we got 13 votes. Everybody's the same. I've always been told that when coaches are in the room, particularly legendary coaches, which is how you essentially get on the committee, uh, that their word means a whole, whole lot. So, Take that for what it worth. it's worth with regards to Barry Alvarez. Uh, you know, Paul did state the fact that, you know, if they can't hit, um, and I think this is a fair solution, if they can't hit the six games, and to your point, I think Michigan had another limited practice today. It was so limited that I don't even think Harbaugh's going to have immediate availability. He's not. That's how, right, that's how limited it is. So I think you look at it and say, if you have that Champions Week and Indiana goes because they've got the requisite number of games and Ohio State can play somebody during Champions Week, out of the West, is that a possibility? Could they get to a sixth game doing that? Would that be enough, even if they're not a Big Ten champion by name? So I do think that with the idea that the ACC and the SEC have manipulated their schedules to a degree, obviously in the group of five, we just talked about Coastal doing it. The fact that everybody is sort of moving their schedules around, I think does give the Big Ten a little bit of wiggle room to say, hey, hey, why are you always banging on us for changing our schedules? Um, the ACC essentially said Florida State and Clemson is off. They've, they've canceled a handful of games that they don't feel uh, merit worthiness to play. It could also be integrity, as they say. It could also be we don't want to upset the apple cart and make sure Clemson can get through, although I don't think anybody could topple them, even in a one-game crazy scenario. So I do think December 19th is going to loom large. December 19th at the beginning of the season was good for fans like me because I knew my school wasn't going to be the big championship game, but we could get a game on the 19th. I think right now when you circle the 19th, 
it can be very, very important for Ohio State. But who knows? If the tide turns and this game gets played on Saturday, maybe it's a move point. But I think the 19th, which was really just out there for fans of, like, Michigan State and Rutgers and Maryland and, you know, uh, Minnesota, I think it actually could be worth really watching for the top of the top. So uh, you mentioned Jay Will talking about Luca Garza. Duke guy. Who did he pick tonight? Did he did he give a pick on the I did he take the Hawkeyes or did he pick well, the Carolina well, Blue? You know where he went to school, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know who he's picking against, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> right yeah. That's good stuff. Uh Zubin, uh, great uh, uh, go ahead, finish up. Yeah. No, no, I was just gonna say I think you can fill in the fill in the blanks with that, but he is very interested to watch Illinois and Duke tonight. So you'll be yeah. interested in the first one. I'm sure he'll be locked in on the second. Good stuff, Zubin Mahente. Appreciate you coming on. Have a wonderful week. Thank you what you do for us, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, I'm back to the kitchen. See you later. <laughs> Good stuff. Zubin Mahente from his uh, home studio. Well, you know, apartments in New York, yeah. not big. Pricey. Even with ESPN money. Right. You're not, get, you're not getting 3,000 square feet. And he's putting his studio in the bathroom. Times we live in, right? 2020. We will come back, uh, Mr. Monday Night. Picked Washington outright last night. We'll forget about the San Francisco pick. Well, I only gave real one. You, you did. Look, I got to I got to give you credit. You were all you money line on Washington. That's so, Mister Tuesday evening, I guess would be seven oh five. Seven oh five. Seven oh five. A little basketball. Got quite a few picks in basketball. Trent, this is an amazing night of sports. Uh-huh. Kansas Creighton at, at four. four. The television show at six. North Carolina Iowa at six thirty. Baltimore hosting the Cowboys at 7.05. Illinois and Duke at what time? 8.30? 8.30, That's not bad for a Tuesday. You want to go over and watch a little Ohio State-Notre Dame, you can do that. Penn State-Virginia Tech, pretty good Virginia Tech team. They and are a good Virginia Tech Cordell team. Cordell Pemsel, part of that Va oh, Tech sure. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comes off the bench for them. Rutgers-Syracuse. Yeah, Rutgers is in the top 25 this mm-hmm. year as uh, Bayheim makes the trip over to... Piscataway for that matchup. A lot of good basketball tonight. Some NFL. It's a great Tuesday. And just got word that the NHL will drop the puck on January the 13th. Tell me how that goes. (laughs) Well, I will. You can bet on that. Miller and Condon till noon. Who is Trent going to side with tonight? It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 1.0.org. Help! I need somebody! Not just anybody. Help. You know, I need someone. Hi, right, Miller Condon. Final couple of minutes. You need help on Baltimore. Dallas Trent Condon is here for that. A uh, number of uh, Hawkeye football players meeting with the media now. Nick Neiman and Keith Duncan have both come out within the last half hour and say that this Saturday will be their final game. At, assuming that the 19th is not played right. at Kinnick, yeah. uh, that this will be it, that they plan on moving on. That's going to be a. As we talked about early in the year, we found that everybody gets the free year, mm-hmm. something to watch. Well, we're at that point now on the calendar is these seniors, do they want to come back or do they want to move on? Yeah, and uh, you know it makes sense with Duncan. He'll give it a shot. I don't think he'll be an NFL kicker, but give it a shot and then yeah. get your career started. Remember, this is a young man that walked on out of state, North Carolina, uh-huh. paid a lot of tuition, probably yep. got a lot of bills he's got to be paying back. And his sophomore season 
didn't he, he kick? Was it? Well, I'm confused. Kicked as a freshman. He did. Then didn't see the field as a sophomore. Redshirted. Redshirted. And yes. then came back and then yes. became Keith Duncan. Yes. Um, as he was the backup, his first year back as redshirt sophomore year to Racinos. Last year, redshirt right. junior. Yep. Here, redshirt senior year. So he would be able to eligible for six year. Going to give it a shot at the next level and then get your career started. Neiman, he'll get a shot to yes, play. Yes, he will. Look, his brothers, you know yes. what? His brother's having a way better NFL career than I. He's got a Super Bowl ring. He does. All right, uh, who do you like tonight? So the Lamar Jackson is cleared. Yes. We believe he's going to play, and the number reflects because when there was still some question, it was 7.5. What's it now, 9.5? It is. And if I had to take one aside, I'd be on the Cowboys. Don't love this play. You don't like Mr. Tuesday yeah. Evening is, is not excited about this one. Excited about hoops. Grab Creighton. Creighton, okay, over Kansas, yep. Grab the four and a half. That's what you'll get in that one. And my other favorite pick, a little bit later in the evening, grab UTEP against St. Mary's. Saw St. Mary's against you and I a little bit. Not a great team in Utah. UTEP's off to a decent start. Get 13 there to play around with. That's my favorite college hoops pick of the night. What's the Illinois Duke line? It was four and a half when it came out. It's down to three flat now. I think Illinois beats them. I, I grabbed the money line at 125. I'm Did with you? you? Yeah. Uh, we'll see. All right. Uh, what's coming up? Well, a lot's coming up. Murph and Andy at two, the Fanatics at four, Cyclone Insider. Uh, Randy Peterson, Travis Hines will be a part of that program. That airs tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, morning Rush back tomorrow in their spot at 6 a.m. We're Miller and Condon. You can hear us 10 to noon. Uh, Monday through Friday, right here on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. It's basketball season in Hawkeye country, and we've got you covered. Previews before the games, recaps the next day. Enjoy the ride with us, Hawkeye fans, right here on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 AM and 106.3 FM, KXNO.